Well, on September 11th, 2001, um, man, I was on a flight from Dallas to John Wayne Airport, Southern California. Pretty routine flight for me. I had bounced between those two airports dozens of times. I remember I, I landed. It was really early flight. One of those flights where you, you leave at like three in the morning and you get back at three in the morning. You know, it was, it was disorienting. It was so early. Remember my wife picked me up, uh, brought us back to our condominium and I went to sleep. And I remember hearing her um, in the other room saying, babe, have you, are you awake? To which I replied, I am now. Um, and she said, I think, I think something bad happened. And so obviously my first thought is, oh no, we had a daughter. She was, you know, six at that time. I said, well, what, that, what does that mean? You know, in the other room, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. And she said, no, I think something like bad has happened to, to America, to the country. I forget how she phrased it. I said, what are, you, what are you talking about? She said, I think we've been attacked. And she said, I'm, the, the new, like all the news channels are just, it's, it's all this stuff about New York City and I, it's really confusing and I don't know what's going on. And then of course, you know, I jumped out of bed and sure enough, whatever news channel you turn to, they were giving you the report of, of what happened. And, you know, as we saw yesterday, everybody has a 9-11 story. I, you know, I don't know why that's so clear to me. It's probably, depending on your age, it's probably very uh, clear to you what you were doing, where you were at during that time of the year. And the reason we see so many stories, so many documentaries and speeches and social media posts is because we don't want to forget, right? And it's something that we should never forget. And then today, as we think about what it means to be the church, the series that we dove into last week, being the church, we face the same dilemma in that we are, by nature, we're just forgetful people, right? So we must remember some things about what it means to be the church. One of the things that we need to remember, and we're going to cover today, is that being the church means being lifelong learners of the gospel so that we can lead others in the grace and in the truth of the gospel. Psalm 111, the psalmist writes this. He said, great are the works of the Lord studied by all who delight in them. And so if we start hearing even these words, learners and leaders, I, I want to I make sure that even from the beginning, we're not understanding this in an academic way. Because if we really listen to what the psalmist is telling us here in Psalm 111, it's really about beholding God's greatness, learning about God in a sense. And one aspect of it is standing back and beholding everything he is. It's seeing God for finally who he is. It's beholding his greatness. It's understanding something of his holiness and his majesty and his otherness and his everythingness, right? So being a learner, it's, it's about beholding God's greatness and then just pointing others to what we behold. That's how we lead other people. I'm giving the whole sermon away in one sentence, so I'm going to pray in 30 seconds we're going to be done. I'm kidding. That will never happen. But that's what it means to be a learner and to be a leader as people who comprise 
this thing that we call the church that Jesus is building. So go ahead, turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 33. We are in week two of a six-week series where we are really looking into just kind of unpacking a little bit of, of who we are as a church. So if you opened up our membership booklet, which we're actually in the middle of, of kind of redesigning and rewriting right now, um, this is one of the things that would come out, that would pop out to you, is that as the church, as people who are being and becoming the church that Jesus builds, we are learners and leaders. And remember last week, if you were here or if you weren't, we learned that first and foremost, even before learners and leaders, that we are worshipers. And this is what we said about being worshipers. We said, Jesus has built a diverse group of ransomed sinners who love, serve, and worship him. And the reason why that's significant is because only worshipers, as the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 3, get to behold the glory of God and are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. So until you're a, a worshiper of God, until you're someone who has received the grace that Jesus offered to us by dying and rising from the dead, well, there's no way for us to even be learners and leaders. So we started with being worshipers so that we can get to this next part, which is as worshipers of God who behold his glory, man, we continue to, to take in that glory and then we, t we continue to lead others into that glory. So how does this transformation happen? How does this happen? This is what we're going to look into today. Well, it happens through learning and leading. And this is our first point that we're going to dive into. I'm going to have you kind of like last week, the topical series for us. We don't do this often. So we're going to have you getting real busy with your Bibles. We're going to be turning all over the place. But our first point is this. It's simply this. We are lifelong learners of the gospel. And what that means is that we immerse ourselves in God's word so as to be more conformed into the image of God's son. And here's what we learn about scripture as we learn scripture. Romans 11 verse 33. This is what it says. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So the first thing that we learn as lifelong learners of the gospel is that scripture will never be fully mined. Do you see what it says there in Romans 11? Oh, the depth of riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are in judgment, how unscrutable are his ways. Scripture reminds us that the knowledge, the truth, the grace, the mercy, and the mind of Jesus is a pool of infinite depth for us to dive into. Men, we never outgrow it. I remember when I was 11 years old, I'm into motorcycle racing, and I remember um, one of my favorite riders just happened to be um, like a lifelong friend of my sister's friend. And she was able to get me one of his jerseys. And I thought I was gonna die. Literally thought I was gonna die. She came in the house one day and she said, look what I got you. 
And literally, it was one of the greatest gifts I ever got. It was this jersey that this dude had worn when he was you know, racing in the stadiums that I watched and I read about. And I had this jersey and I put on that jersey and I hardly ever took off that jersey, right? And it fit perfectly. I don't know how little this dude was, but for some reason, man, at 11 years old, that jersey fit, fit perfectly. It probably says more about me. Um, but I wore it constantly. And, um, but eventually, I unfortunately, like most 11-year-olds, I grew. And that jersey was never going to fit me again. So it sits in my closet now, unused, uh, forever. Um, that was a really poor example of this idea that, man, we outgrow a lot of things in our lives. We, we come to the end. We reach capacity on both our knowledge of things and even our desire to learn more about other things, right? Like things you were interested in at five and six years old, man, you're probably not interested in them at 15 and 16 years old. And then, you know, you just keep moving on through the decades and you're kind of, you kind of become interested in learning about different things at different times in your life. Why? Because you outgrow those things. You outgrow your clothing. You outgrow all the things that worked during one particular age that don't work now at this particular age. We outgrow a lot of things, but we never outgrow God's word. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher from the 1800s, said, no one outgrows scripture. This is what he, how he described that. He said, it widens and deepens with our years. So this is something that we, in a sense, we put on and we keep putting it on. You won't outgrow it. It will grow you out, basically. And by the way, when we think of scripture never being fully mined, what an encouraging thing for us because we know that it is worth giving our life to. It is worth giving your life to knowing God, to knowing Christ through his word. So when we read a scripture like Romans 11, the depth of riches, wisdom, and knowledge of God, for from him and through him and to him are all things, it makes us want to dive deep. It makes us want to drink deeply from this well because we're never going to reach the bottom. We're never going to reach the bottom of it. So scripture will never be fully mined. Secondly, scripture is how we grow in wisdom and spiritual maturity. And so as the church, if you ever wondered, man, what am I supposed to be doing? Well, there's a lot of things, but this is one of the main things is that you need to be growing in wisdom and spiritual maturity. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4. You want to make a hard right from Romans to Ephesians. It's somewhere there. That was the least helpful thing I could have told you. Romans chapter 4. I'm going to pick up with verse 11 while you're getting there. This is Paul speaking in a letter that he wrote to a church just like us. And he said, and he gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until what? We all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a phenomenal statement for us to understand what our call is, what the reason is for dudes like me on the payroll, right? It's because 
The end goal for us is wisdom and maturity and stature so that we might understand the knowledge of God and we might grow into this fullness that God provides us when we take those deep dives into his word. So then what that does is is it really expands our Sunday mornings a little bit. And there's more than just Sunday mornings, but it does expand our Sunday mornings. When you understand that part of the way that I'm going to mature in my walk with the Lord, part of the way I'm gonna grow in knowledge and in wisdom is by gathering with other people that are needing to grow in wisdom and spiritual maturity. The other thing about it is we're, we're meant to do it together, right? Why is that? Well, let's just keep going on with the verse. Verse is, he says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. You see what's going after you with those things? Then he, Paul says, rather speaking the truth and love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. You notice he didn't say you're just supposed to grow and get smart. You're supposed to get these big fat heads so that every time you're around somebody, you have all this wisdom and knowledge to just have flowing out of you while you're hoping your head will deflate a little bit. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying that this spiritual maturity, this wisdom is meant to grow us into Christ. It's meant to bring us back to the person and work of Jesus Christ from whom the whole body joined, body meaning the church, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So scripture, the church, Sunday mornings, midweek community groups, daily devotionals, prayer, the encouragement of one another, this is how we attain that wisdom and that spiritual maturity. There's an end game with becoming a lifelong learner in the gospel, and that is to grow in wisdom and spiritual maturity. So you're all doing the right thing right now, right? Again, that's not making it a legalistic thing, but gathering with your church family, sitting under gospel-centered preaching, and that's what we do here is how you grow in wisdom in maturity. And you know what else it does? It guards you against being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. What does that mean? It means that there is stuff out there that is trying to tell you things about God, the world, and yourself that are just patently false. How are you gonna have the discernment to know what's true and what's false? Without immersing yourselves in the word, and growing with each other in spiritual maturity and in wisdom. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 13, 3, 14, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Listen, he says, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, he's talking to his his boy Timothy, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's like Paul is saying, hey guys, don't lose heart. Continue in what you have learned because as you continue to mine God's word, there is increased wisdom. And with increased wisdom comes increased faith for you to have in Jesus Christ. Let's turn to Proverbs. I'm gonna bring us all the way back to the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter two. 
So you're going to go all the way to the middle somewhere. You're welcome. Proverbs 2. Picking up in verse 6. Listen, listen to what this passage says, says about what the Lord wants for you and the kindness of the Lord, that this is what he has for you on offer. He says, for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice, watching over the way of his saints. Then he says this, then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Do you love how scripture never tries to act like there ain't bad junk out there? Do you, do you just enjoy the fact that scripture keeps it more real than everybody else ever keeps it? Do you enjoy the fact that what we see here when we dive into Proverbs 2 is we see a God whose heart for you is to draw you closer into understanding what his heart is for you as a way to what? Punish you? As a way to make life not as fun? No, it's just the opposite. It's as a way for you to draw closer into the wisdom of God so that your life becomes immersed in those things that bring you joy and satisfaction that just can't be found when we start traveling down other paths. So being the church means we are growing in wisdom and understanding. We're becoming more discerning so that when people say things, listen to this part, all right? I need you to listen. When people say things that don't line up with scripture, you receive a warning in your spirit. Wait a minute. There's something about that. I'm not sure about that. I need to check that out. It may be that there's nothing wrong with it, but the fact that it brings up, Jeff and I like to say it like this, the fact that it brings up a red flag means that you should research it. And in fact, Paul told the Thessalonian church, he said, hey, I really praise you guys because you took everything that I said and you went and you checked it out. You just didn't listen to it blindly. But when I preached to you, you went and you did some research and you did your homework and you made sure that the words that I was preaching lined up with what God said to be true. You guys should do that with me. Yeah, because I talk. I'm talking every Sunday. I'm preaching. Make sure that the words that are coming out of my mouth are the words that come out of the mouth of God. Right? So we receive a warning in our spirit as we, as we grow in wisdom and discernment. Now this is the other part to that. This also includes being discerning about people who say the right things, all right, but they do it with a spirit that is not in line with the spirit of Jesus. I don't know, we see this in a place called social media all the time, where you can see somebody that you might say, well, that's interesting. I like what they said technically, but why are they so angry? 
And why are they being so unkind to the people around them who disagree with them? And why are they being so uncharitable? And why are they trying to like develop this mob of people who are thinking and attacking and throwing things as a way to justify their position? That should cause a red flag. Yeah, but, but they quoted a scripture. That's not wrong. But how did they quote that scripture? They weaponized that scripture? What else is going to make us discerning in those moments than God's word to know that, hey, when people say things that are contrary to God's word, man, we need to be aware. When people say God's word in contrary ways and tones, we need to be aware of that. Does that make sense? This is what being a lifelong learner of God's word develops in us. Wisdom, spiritual maturity, drawing us closer to the words and the mind and the heart of Jesus. Scripture also keeps us secure in all seasons of life. So as we become lifelong learners, Scripture keeps us secure in the seasons of life. Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's basically in the words of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And listen what it says, the result is. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. But the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So you meditate on God's word. You dive into God's word. You drink it in. You apply it to your life. You make it part of the discipline of your life. Why? Because seasons are coming. Because seasons are coming. Winter is coming. It's not if, it's when. And you want to be firmly planted so that you're standing in truth. It took, uh, it took me and Melissa, we lived, <laughs> we lived here about eight years before we bought winter clothing. So it's like January and I'm still wearing this. I'm like, I don't get it, man. This coat should be warm. You know, it's like half a millimeter thick. You know, and it just wasn't cutting it. And every year we were like, I don't know, should we, should we invest? Should we buy some winter clothing? And then, you know, we'd get to March, we'd be like, well, it's too late now. You know, it's almost, well, it's not almost spring because we don't have spring here. But, um, but we just kept putting it off and putting it off because it's a, it's a bit of an investment, right? But it's so worth it. And I remember the year we bought like these warm insulated pants and these really warm insulated jackets and it was like January 20th and it was about 11 degrees and we like walked outside and we went, I feel good right now. You know what I mean? Man, oh man, it took us years to finally invest in the right clothing. What are you investing in that's going to carry you in those winter-like seasons of your life? What are you investing in? Scripture keeps us secure in all seasons of life. 
So that's why we're lifelong learners. We want to be, we desire to be lifelong learners as the church that Jesus is building. And then finally, it's so that we can lead others. We're not just learners, but we're actually leaders. So it matters that we begin to see ourselves as people who are in the position to lead others. In fact, listen to this. When, when Jesus was training his disciples, these were men and women, women were part of his group, who were incredibly flawed people, right? They were fragile people, but he trained them as learners to be leaders of women, of men. Now, man, God does that in different ways. God puts people in different positions, in different roles of leadership, right? According to the gifts that he's given you. But he does call all of his church to be leaders. He does call all of you to take this wisdom and this spiritual maturity that you're growing in and point others to it, to draw others to drink in deeply of it with you. That is how, at a, very, at a baseline, that we lead others. That's how we engage in being the leadership of the church. It may not be your thing to stand up here and preach a sermon on Sundays. That's okay. It may not be your thing to lead a Sunday school class. It may not be your thing to become a community group leader. It may not be your thing to teach a Bible study. I'm, you know, so you notice like where I went with that, it's not everybody's thing to be up front leading people, right? But that's not the only way. That's one tiny part of the ways in which we are able to lead in the church as learners, right? Man, leading happens in, a, in just a multitude of ways. I think what messes us up is that when I say the word leader, we think of how the world leads and our, we gain our model of leadership from how the world leads. But Jesus tells us something way differently. Scripture gives us something way differently in the way that we're supposed to lead. So this is what I don't want you to do. I don't want to say the word leader and then you go back to those four categories. I get, well, I'm, I'm never going to preach. Standing up in front of people and saying something literally is going to give me nightmares for the next 27 years. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about taking what you've learned and using what you've learned as a way to lead others in the sphere of influence that God has placed you in. And he's put every one of you in a particular area or sphere of influence. I, I mean, he's made all of you neighbors. I know that, right? He's given you all places and people that he has uh, very sovereignly placed you so that you can be people that point to the glory that you behold as a lifelong learner. And these are the three ways that we find he calls us to lead that are different than the way the world tells us to lead. Go to Mark 10, right after Matthew. The first way that Jesus instructs us to lead like is to lead others like a servant. 10 verse 42, Jesus called them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. That's the worldly model of leadership. I'm the boss, I'm the one in charge, just whip it into shape, do what I tell you, shut up, comply. That's not the way Jesus has called the church to be leaders. He said, 
but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave for all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus calls us to lead like Jesus, to lead like a servant, to not demand your way, but to serve others as a way that models the very way that Jesus has served us. The second way is that we lead others, and it's connected with this, it overlaps, is lead others with humility. Philippians 2 verse 1 says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, Paul writes the church, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, listen to what he says, he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Then he says this, listen to this. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So by our humble Christ-like character that we establish and we gain as lifelong learners of the gospel, we lead others to the character of Christ. What is that character exactly? I'm going to have you turn one more time to Ephesians 4. And this is Paul getting really down to the wire with the Ephesian church. In in verse 20, he says, this is not the way you learned Christ. He's correcting them. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This is what he says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you, listen to this, speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. How do we do that? And how do we do that in a way that models the character of Christ and the wisdom of Christ and the knowledge of Christ that we attain through being lifelong learners? Well, let's just read on. This is what he says. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. And let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Then he says this, hey, besides being honest and having integrity, he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Then he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, but let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So if you ever wonder what it looks like to lead others with the spirit and the character and the heart of Jesus Christ, we go to Ephesians 4 and we see all of these things in really simple English for us as people who are becoming lifelong learners that have also been instructed to lead others in the way that that learning is shaping our hearts. 
Isn't it amazing to get such clarity, right? Now, are we going to mess up those things? We are. But he talks a lot about the grace that we give others through our transformed behavior. You know what? That grace is given to us too. That grace is given to us by Christ as he's transforming our behavior. And that's where repentance comes in. Because we don't live up to that standard. We're not lifelong learners. We don't just arrive and we get these things down and we've nailed it. That just doesn't happen to you. It only happens to me. I'm kidding. It doesn't happen to any of us. You guys are a little quiet right now at the end. But we lead others with the character of Jesus. And what's interesting about these passages is that leading others is modeling a life that looks like Jesus, which flows from a love for Jesus. So being learners and leaders is something that leads us back to Jesus. We see how the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, spent his time on earth as a learner, as a leader. Remember, we read about Jesus growing in wisdom and statue. He learned in his humanness, in, in his human nature, he was a learner, right? And so we walk away today not feeling defeated by how little we've learned or fearful at the thought of what being a leader entails, but by knowing that if we desire Jesus to teach us, we will naturally devote ourselves to learning the things he desires for our good. And you know what? The opportunities to learn and lead are all around you. And you have God's word. You have God's community. You have one of God's pastor dudes, right? You have books, giving away books after the service. You have podcasts. Make sure, you, make sure you're listening to the good ones and ask me if you got questions about what the good ones are. You have all kinds of tools for learning. You also have people around you that can benefit from your learning, which by the way, many times, most of the time, might just be loving them where they're at. Do you ever think of leading people in that sense? Just loving a person where they're at? That's really the best kind of leading. It's loving a person with the grace and kindness of Jesus. You know, every time I typed in being the church, so I, I, I write sermons on Google Docs, and every time I typed in being the church, Google tried to correct it to being in the church. It just would not accept my being the church title. And that's what we have the tendency to fall into if we're not careful. Seeing the church as something we populate rather than participate in. The natural extension of being the church that Jesus builds is learning more about Jesus and leading others to become more like him. But then you might say, Ronnie, here's the problem. And I just, I lack desire for that. It sounds overwhelming to me. You know, I was thinking about that, how difficult this is. Because I don't want to leave you with law at the end of the sermon. I never want to. I want our hearts and our minds to be focused on Jesus. But I was thinking about this idea of that. And for some reason in my life, I've never been a naturally thirsty person. You know, guys that walk around, they always have like a big thing of water, or like a big thing of Coke. They got those like jumbo things that are like this. That's like my wife. She just walks, she's just, 
hydrating all day, all night. It just never stops, right? Um, I'm just not, I'm just hardly ever thirsty. Like I'm the guy that I eat like three meals and I still haven't drank anything. You know, I don't know what that is. One of you medical guys can, Jeremiah, let me know what that is after the service. Um, But I need to drink, he's a foot doctor, but I just assume he knows about this. (laughs) But I need to drink water, right? So that I don't walk around perpetually dehydrated. The funny thing is that when I'm doing well and I get myself into a disciplined pattern of drinking water, the more I do it, the more I'm thirsty for water. I find myself getting thirsty. And this is how we become learners and leaders who desire to be learners and leaders. We drink the water of God's word, not because we always feel like it, but because by doing so, we are creating and cultivating a thirst for that which is good, right? So when we get to a place where, man, we even feel bored with this. Maybe this is a sermon where you just go, oh my gosh, he's telling me to read the Bible again. Didn't he just do that last week and like the last 400 times I've heard him? Yeah. When we feel like we've heard all this before or we say things like this, which is what somebody said to me one time, Ronnie, this gospel thing you keep talking about, I get it. What is likely happening in those moments is that our minds are being hydrated with things that are making our hearts lose their thirst for Jesus and his word. The answer is drinking deep from the well and leading others to the well where they can drink. We don't want to be the forgetful church. We want to be the faithful church. What do we just sing and build my life? Open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who you are and fill me with your heart and lead me in your love to those around me. I don't want to leave you with condemnation because you're not reading God's word enough. I want your mind to shift to God's son who's the embodiment of God's word. I want your mind to leave today and your heart to leave today eager to mine the depths of God's word, but as a way to know God's son. And if that thirst isn't there, that is the way we acquire that thirst because God is good to give it to us. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the wisdom and the knowledge and the grace of God that is at our fingertips right now as we are holding our Bibles in our devices. Lord, I pray that you would allow us to be a church whose desire for being learners and for leading others to what we learn and behold, Lord, would just continue to increase. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.